Well, friends, today we're going to continue our study in 1 Thessalonians. Today we're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Hear now the written word of the living God. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Pray with me once again. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we come to it, we want to recognize and publicly proclaim that this is the very word of the living God. It's not Paul's best effort on paper. It is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of God. We know that, Lord, you chose to breathe out your word uh, and uh, even give Paul inspiration as he wrote these words. And I pray, God, that you would take it and use your Holy Spirit to implant it in our minds, our hearts, that we might grow in grace that if there's one who doesn't know Christ, they might be brought to faith. And may we worship you, Father, through the preaching of the word this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, as we begin today, I want to ask you this question. Have, Have you ever been able maybe to look back at your life or someone else's life? And you're able to see some new fruit that is produced in a particular person's life. And that fruit was brought about by a change, a change that happened in that person's life that brought about this new fruit. You know, we could uh, talk about this in in many different ways. For example, maybe, maybe you're a student and you weren't making very good grades at all. But after you put in a lot of study and effort you saw that there was a change that happened. You received a report card and you had the new fruit of good grades because of that change that you had in your life of, of better study habits. Or maybe you're a salesman and you saw the new fruit of going from low commissions to high commissions because of a change. You decided to change the, the strategy in your selling And that change brought upon a a new, a better commission for you. And that was new fruit that you saw. Or maybe it's something in the medical field, like uh, maybe there was a child who was, was born and couldn't hear. Or there was a man who was colorblind. And through technological advances, a doctor used medical technology to enable this, this child who is now a toddler be able to hear for the first time. Or this man who was colorblind to be able to see red and blue for the first time. And you, you, you saw this, this new fruit in their lives because of a, of a change that happened in this particular person's life. You know, it's always amazing to see the fruit in someone's life after a real change has occurred. Well, friends, I mention all these examples today. Because right here in 1 Thessalonians, Paul is talking about seeing a real change. A real change that took place in the lives of of all these Thessalonians. However, I want you to know that this change, it didn't occur 
because of a, of a new study habit or a new selling strategy. It didn't occur because a doctor used a new technological advancement to increase hearing or seeing. Rather, the text says that our gracious God used the preaching of Paul and, and Silas and Timothy, the three men we learned about last week, and the Holy Spirit took the preaching of the Bible, and God brought many of the Thessalonians to faith in Jesus Christ. And because of what God had done in their hearts, there was a change. There was a change in the life of these Thessalonians, and that change brought on new fruit. There was a spiritual fruit that was produced in their lives. And the Bible says today that this new fruit acted as a proof that these Thessalonians, yeah, they were really believers. They really knew Jesus as their Savior. You see right here in the second verse of this first chapter, Paul starts out by giving great thanks to God. He prays a prayer of, of thanks and says, God, thank you for the, the changes that I've seen in the lives of these Thessalonians, this, this new fruit. But that brings about this question. Um, what was the new fruit that was produced in their lives? Well, the answer to that question is the outline of our sermon today. Because as we mentioned in verse 2, there's a prayer of thanksgiving for the changes, for the fruit. But in verse 3, the Apostle Paul lists three new fruits that he has observed in the lives of this young church. And he lists those three fruits in verse 3. And that is the outline of our text today. So the first thing we're going to do is look at the first fruit, which I'm calling a faith that works. Secondly, a love that labors. And then third and finally, a hope that endures. So friends, zoom in with me at verse 3. Let's look at these three fruits. First of all, a faith that works. Here's what the text says. Verse 3 says, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith. Well, friends, let's review this question. How is a person saved? Is it by faith or is it by works? You know, just a few moments ago, Hunter read the background text that we're going to use to, to answer this question. It was from Ephesians chapter 2. So let's start out by reviewing verses 8 and 9 of Ephesians chapter 2. Here's what the Bible said. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. Friends, this text teaches us that we are justified. That is, we are declared righteous by God, by grace through faith. That faith is the means or the instrument by which we lay hold of Jesus Christ. In fact, in verse 9, 
it goes so far to make clear that we can't be justified by our works. Well, what about verse 10? What does verse 10 of Ephesians 2 say about our works? Let's review it once again. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Friends, even though we can't be justified by our works, the Bible says that we are created in Christ Jesus for good works. In fact, verse 10 says that we should be walking in our good works. So what we see from Ephesians 2 is that verses 8 and 9 talk about our justification, but Ephesians 2.10 talks about our sanctification or our growth in grace. You see, what we're learning here is the same lesson that we learned a few months ago from the book of James. Do you remember when we studied James chapter 2? We simply learned this, that we are saved by faith alone, but faith is never alone. It is always accompanied by works. That means that true saving faith, it will always produce works of holy conduct, of obedience to our God. We remember as we studied James a few months ago, it was Abraham's faith that produced the fruit of his obedience in going to sacrifice Isaac. It was Rahab's faith that produced the fruit of sending the messengers out by another way. You see, the faith of these saints in this young church at Thessalonica produced the fruit of good works in the name of Jesus. Friends, indeed, we could say about these Thessalonians, they were God's workmanship. They had a faith that works. And even though their, their faith was a very young faith, their work still showed evidence of God's salvation. That's why Paul was able to look at their lives and he could look back and he could see a real change for Jesus. A real change because they were really saved. He saw the fruit of their salvation. He saw a faith that works. Now let's keep in mind something about these Thessalonians. All this was happening as they were undergoing great persecution. It wasn't easy to live for Jesus as they were going through this, but they lived for him nonetheless. Well, friends, how, how would this faith that works, how would that apply to you or even to me? Let's talk about that. You know, we, we got to remember something here. Paul's talking about seeing an evidence, an evidence of really being a believer in Jesus Christ. And just as Paul was able to look back on the Thessalonians and see a faith that works, he saw their conduct, their obedience. As believers in Jesus Christ, you and I, we should probably ask some of these questions about our own lives. We should say, hey, do we have a faith that works? Or do we strive to have a faith without works? 
You know, as we learned from James a few months ago, faith without works is it's dead. It doesn't even exist. So we should examine our own hearts and say, hey, are we able to look back on our own lives and see a real change? And do we see fruit that's coming out because of this real change that Jesus Christ has made in our hearts and in our lives? Let's never forget what John says in 1 John 2.6. He says, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And of course, he's talking about Jesus. And that simply means, friends, if we talk the talk, if we say we have a faith in Jesus, we need to be walking that walk, living for Jesus, having a faith that works. Well, secondly, today, let's look at a love that labors. Again, the text says, verse 3, Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So according to Jesus, the distinguishing mark of a disciple of Jesus Christ is his love for others. But this text in Thessalonians says that not only did the Thessalonians have love, they had a labor of love. Let's talk about that phrase. Specifically, let's zoom in and look at the word labor. You know, when we do a study of that word, uh, the word picture behind labor is a weary kind of toil done to the point of exhaustion. It's a sacrificial exertion that requires great effort. You know, we're all familiar with uh, mothers who are getting ready to deliver uh, a child. And the term we use is that the mother goes into labor. For it's labor that takes her to the point of exhaustion and requires great effort. So as we talk about this phrase, labor, know what we're talking about, something that's exhausting, taking great effort. Now, let's go back to love. We all know that simply loving our brother Loving other people, you know, that's, that's not always easy. But now we see the Bible calling us to a labor of love. We see the Bible calling us to put in effort and exertion to love people to the point of exhaustion. Friends, do we see what a high calling this is from God? You know, as we think about a labor of love, let's first of all think about Jesus. Because Jesus put in so much effort, so much exertion into loving people. Let's talk about that for a minute. You know, Jesus put in so much effort into loving Judas that he washed his feet right before Judas 
was going to betray him. Jesus put in so much effort to loving Zacchaeus, he said, Zacchaeus, I'm going to go to your house to stay. Jesus put in so much exertion to loving Peter that he restored him to ministry, even after Peter denied him three times. Jesus put in so much effort to loving the thief on the cross that he forgave this man his sins, even while Jesus himself was hanging from a tree. Jesus put in so much effort to loving those disciples that he called them all as apostles and he used them in ministry even after they all abandoned him right before he died. Friend, Jesus put so much effort, he put so much exertion into loving you and me. The Bible says he took a crown of thorns upon his head. He was scourged, and he went to the cross, had nails put in his hands, nails put in his feet, and he did all of that to die for your sins and for mine. Indeed, Christ shows us what it means to have a labor of love. 1 John 4, 9 and 10 says, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us, and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And friends, that is exactly what the Thessalonians did. In fact, later in this book, in 1 Thessalonians 4.9, Paul says it this way, You yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. These Thessalonians had a labor of, labor of love. They were loving others in costly and exhausting ways. They toiled with effort and exertion, just like their Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, and they did it for other people. And friends, Paul looks back and he sees this labor of love. It was a fruit that was produced in their lives because of a change brought on by Jesus Christ. And Paul saw this labor of love as another evidence that they really knew Jesus. Well, as we did with faith, let's do again with love. Let's ask the questions. How would this labor of love, how would this apply to you or to me? Well, friends, in the same way that God's love towards the Thessalonians drove them out to love others in an exhausting fashion, God's love towards us should drive you and me to a labor of love towards others. One commentator said it this way. As we begin to see others as God sees them and to love them without thought of gain or cost to ourselves, then the gracious love of God will be working in our hearts. That means, dear friends, if we are not tired, 
if we are not exhausted in the way we love others. We are not loving them enough. Why? Because we are to have a labor of love. So friend, I want to challenge you. Challenge myself. Let's go back and and read the Christian definition of love from 1 Corinthians 13. And let those truths sink into our hearts, be so impressed upon our hearts and our minds that we ask the Lord to teach us. Lord, would you teach us and help us to have a labor of love towards others? Well, third, finally this morning, we talked about a faith that works, a, a love that labors. Third and finally, we're going to talk about a hope that endures because the text says again verse 3 remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ a hope that endures now before we talk about the biblical definition of hope let's first talk about uh, the word hope as we commonly use it in the English language today because it's different from the way the Bible uses hope. You know, oftentimes when we, when we talk about hope, we're talking about wishful thinking. You know, we'll say, um, I hope it doesn't rain today. Or, I hope the Panthers win the Super Bowl. You know, Marguerite is probably saying something like this. I hope Hunter shaves his mustache. You know, something like that. Wishful thinking. But friends, in the Bible... I want you to know that hope, it has a different meaning. It's not wishful thinking. Biblical hope, rather, is the assurance and the certitude that we will obtain the promises of God. And in 1 Thessalonians, I want you to know that hope is tied to our future anticipation. You know, not only seeing the glory of God in the future, but in gaining an, inter- an eternal inheritance at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, in this book, as we look at 1 Thessalonians as a whole and talk about hope, we see that chapter 4 talks about the second coming of Christ. And that will be a time when all believers whether we are alive still on earth or those who have gone on before, all believers are going to be caught up in the air to be with the Lord forever. In fact, the last verse of 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 18 says, therefore encourage one another with these words. In other words, have hope, have assurance and certitude that one day you will obtain this promise from God. You see, 1 Thessalonians declares to you and me as believers that eternal hope, eternal victory is ours in Jesus Christ. You see, the bottom line is that we know how the story ends. We know how the book of Revelation ends. You see, Revelation teaches us that Jesus wins and his people will live eternally with him in heaven. And the result of reading texts like that, of knowing these promises, the result is hope. It's not wishful thinking. You see, biblical hope gives you and I as believers steadfastness in the face of trials. 
It gives us fortitude in the midst of persecution. It gives us endurance to keep on living for Jesus. And friends, that's what these Thessalonians had. They had a hope that endures. And once again, the Apostle Paul is able to look back on their lives and see this enduring hope was a fruit that was produced in their lives because of a change brought upon by Jesus Christ. And Paul sees again this new fruit, this enduring hope. It was evidence that they really knew Christ. So as we've done with faith, as we've done with love, let's now do with hope. How does this apply to you and to me, even today? Well, friends, as every single one of us continues to deal with the issues of the coronavirus every single day, you know, we we look around and we're constantly reminded of how broken this world really is. We see a new sickness affecting people's lives. We see people dying from this sickness. We see the economy decline. We see domestic violence on the rise, depression on the rise, the use of alcohol and drugs on the rise. But dear friend, in the midst of this broken world, I want to remind us all as believers, this world is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven And one day, when Jesus comes back, He's going to make all things new. I want to remind you that that day, when Jesus comes back, there will be no sickness, no pain, no death. There will be no need for a stock market or even a bank account. For on that day, Jesus will wipe away every tear. And God's dwelling will be with man. So, dear friend, in the face of all that you are going through today, you can have hope. Not wishful thinking. You can have hope. You can have assurance and certitude that you will obtain the promises of God. And it's not because of anything you have done. It's because of what Jesus has done for you. Christ has won the victory. And Christ has given that victory to his people. Friends, you can have a hope that endures. Well, as we conclude the sermon this morning, you know, let's be reminded that this was a very young church at Thessalonica, but this church was already characterized by faith, love, and hope. Paul could look back at their lives and he could see the fruit. The fruit that was produced by a change brought on by Jesus and this fruit showed evidence that they really knew the Lord. So my exhortation to you this morning and to myself from the Word of God is may our faith in Jesus lead us to work in His kingdom for His glory. For we are saved by faith alone. But faith, it's never alone. 
It's always accompanied by works. And as Jesus said, the harvest is plenty, but the workers are few. So let's have a faith that works. Secondly, may our love for others, may it be a labor of love. May we love with a weary kind of toil done to the point of exhaustion. May we love with self-sacrificial exertion that requires great effort for dear friend. That's the way Jesus loved us. And then finally, may our hope in the solid rock of Jesus Christ, may it endure forever. May we persevere in our faith more and more, knowing that heaven is our home and we have eternal victory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Pray with me, please. Father, we're challenged by this text even to reflect upon our own lives to see, hey, do we have this faith, this love, even this hope? And I pray, God, that this text would not only be a challenge for every one of us, but that we would be encouraged that in Christ we have a hope that endures. It's, it's not simply uh, you know, wishful thinking, but it's an, an assurance and a promise from God that we will indeed obtain uh, all that you have in store for us. Father, may we live with faith, love, and hope in Jesus Christ our Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.